0: Paramedic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest.
1: Hello everybody, welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and we're going to try out something a little new here on the podcast. This will be our first case of the quarter, and where this came from, you know here in the department of clinical services here at MCHD we collect a lot of a lot of interesting cases a lot of interesting medical discussions and patient presentations and really just tons of educational discussion around the office and sometimes from my standpoint as you know one of the medical directors it feels like it gets trapped in the circle here in the administration building and doesn't get out really to the medics who are actually out there taking care of patients and so over the past three to six months, we've had continuous discussions about how to try to better give our medics an avenue to teach each other and discuss these interesting cases. We see so much interesting pathology here in Montgomery County, and there's so much to learn from, and there's no better way to learn than, than true case-based learning. So we set up a really complicated system where the medics can email me their cases, and we go through and we pick the most interesting case of the quarter. And so for the second quarter of 2021, I wanted to bring on one of our captains, Travis Clay. Hello, Travis is here with us to talk about a case that he took care of in the, in the past few months here in the, here in the district. And we're obviously going to keep things uh, confidential and blinded through this discussion, but we wanted to talk about the pathology and the case, because there's really a lot to learn here from a, from a uh, differential diagnosis and you know what how fast we need to treat this patient what do we need to push for once the patient gets to the hospital really a, a several different directions we can spin off here so bef- before we give too much away and we we tell you what happened here i'm going to let you know travis open things up and tell the listeners about the case how the call came out and what you found on scene because this is this is one really i think everyone can learn from here
0: uh so this call uh, like dr patrick was saying was quite interesting um Originally, uh, we were dispatched to a rural area to care for someone who had reported uh, through a neighbor that they were at home and they suddenly lost feeling in their lower extremities. Uh, We were actually dispatched as I believe a sick person or something along those lines. Um, We arrived on scene um, and were met by uh, some concerned neighbors who directed us to the patient. And basically, uh, when we made contact with this patient, uh, she said, you know, I was working around the house and suddenly I cannot feel my legs. And initially what struck me was this individual, I was a little bit older, uh, but very much a robust individual, very active individual. And uh, she was laying there crying, writhing in pain, moving around. And it was very clear immediately she was in a tremendous amount of distress.
1: So, you know, that's a really good starting point to think through sort of, you know, the, the patient's baseline is a vital factor when assessing the Delta, right? How much change is from the baseline to where they are now. And there's a big difference in, like you described, a very active functional, you know, regardless, whether you're 60, whether you're 70, whether you're 80, whether you're 50, if you're bed bound in a nursing home with a history of multiple strokes and you have a a new facial droop, then maybe the Delta change there is not that great. Whereas if you're a 79 year old who was out in the fields on your tractor mending fences and, right. and and barbed wire the day before and now you can't move your legs. You've gone a hundred miles in, in the other direction. And that's sort of that that spider sense that we get. Like, something's not right here. And we talk a lot about, you know, acute events in patient care here here at MCHD. And when we talk about acute events, one of the things that that often comes up is is acute vascular events, right? If someone was normal and now they're abnormal we talk about that with large vessel occlusion strokes all the time if you've listened to the podcast at all dr dixon's across the wall there somewhere his ears are burning or whatever happens when you're talking about somebody but when we see someone with acute ultra mental status weakness facial droop we always think about strokes high on the differential but this is a little bit different in that the patient as you described and and as i'm listening obviously i know the outcome but she couldn't move both of her legs and she Correct. couldn't feel both of her legs. So Correct. we, we think about stroke. We're always talking about unilateral, right? Right. And this, so that's, it's really an odd, odd presentation. So you've done your assessment, you've collected your vitals, you've taken a history. What was on your differential list in this patient?
0: Uh, so interestingly, this patient had recently had, um, um, some procedures done and they discovered she had a small aortic arch aneurysm, uh, and, literally sitting there on her coffee table was her report from her doctor. So there was no confusion as to what her diagnosis was. And that based on those, that information, um, they weren't very concerned. So they were just monitoring that. So that was kind of like a red herring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, right out the gate, you know, we're thinking obviously vascular. We noticed that the, the patient didn't have uh, distal pulses. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big, big, uh, bad thing. Um, didn't have distal pulses and only had a popliteal pulse in one of the legs. Um, so that kind of throws you for a loop. Uh, so immediately we're thinking some sort of large occlusion or rupture in the aorta, some sort of thrombus, or maybe some sort of, uh, something uh, causing problems with the spinal cord, potentially like epidural abscess. And of course there's all those to the other things that this, this person was working around the house. So maybe she uh, slipped a disc and it's causing some sort of weird obstruction worth noting is there was no trauma. Uh, She was very much like, I did not fall and was very, you know, repeated that over and over. And in fact, she had summoned her neighbors because she was fearful of falling. And so uh, that, you know, no trauma, you know, it's atraumatic. And now she can't feel her legs and we don't have pulses. So it was quite concerning.
1: So my next question on my list, which we really, you probably answered this question already, but just so we sort of take this maybe to new medics that are out there listening. Now, when you did your exam and you made that list in your brain. So your differential list there, you know, encompassed several different organ systems and potential causes, you know, you hit on acute vascular events, you know, dissection, uh, or a thromboembolic event. And you went straight away there to, to pulses. So to a new medic, that's going to be key right? Mm -hmm. Is if you're worried about a vascular event, you're worried about perfusion, distal pulses are oftentimes a dead giveaway. And in this case, that probably when you think about how you sorted that list in your brain, I'm sure that the thromboembolic event, vascular event dissection probably was number one on your list just based on the lack of pulses. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, It was the only one that kind of would encompass everything that we saw, you know, and to new medics out there. One thing I always preach to people that I work with uh, that are, you know, learning and and whatnot. expose, 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 take off the socks, shoes, cut the pants, you know, um, and I always, you know, I'm sure you've heard of Occam's razor, or Hickam's dictum. Like a lot of times what we think is exactly what it is, but sometimes it's more than one thing. And so that's something to keep in the back of your head. Like she could have a disc injury and also, you know, something else going on uh, and you, you can't fix what you can't see. And so that was one of the first things we did was cut the socks and shoes off, cut the pants and see what we're looking at.
1: Yeah. I'd add on, you can't palpate what you can't feel, right. It's hard to palpate a dorsalis pedis pulse through boots. I see that. I see folks try to do it (laughs) all the time. You know, you can't see modeling or pallor with Mm -hmm. socks on. Right. Um, I've told my story about my ultra mental patient that I did a 90 minute workup imaging lab testing, was ready to insert the lumbar puncture needle. And as I rolled the patient, we found fentanyl patches across the patient's back uh, which made the ultramental mental status much more clear I didn't need spinal fluid to determine the cause then but I didn't look you know and so whether it's pulses modeling fentanyl patches you name it you if, if you don't undress the patient you don't properly take their socks off take their shoes off and go through a methodical approach you're not going to you're not going to see or find those things to to rank right you go through some of the other ones uh, you know, transverse myelitis, acute cord compression. You talked about ep- epidural abscess, epidural hematoma, acute rupture. And again, it'd be odd for non-traumatic, you know, acute disruption to cause bi- you know bilateral neuroforaminal compression. That'd be a, a huge monster <laughs> disc. You'd expect some sort of lifting, or you know, I think we all get a little bit jaded to people that hear or feel the pop. But you'd almost think there would have to be something beyond a spontaneous disruption that would cause that. Was the patient on any anticoagulation or immunosuppressed at all?
0: No, this patient, she had just taken. a, I think, uh, just a, you know, your typical diagnosis, high blood pressure, COPD, and that was pretty much it. Um, no real significant surgical history. Aortic arch aneurysm was just an incidental finding through a normal routine pulmonary doctor visit that they discovered. I'll say one thing that also caught me, uh, you know, Got our attention early on was her description of it was it feels like my legs are swelling it really hurts and to, to have someone tell you that you're like that's not a normal descriptor of a pain you know that's not typical presentation of a, a back injury is it feel like my legs are swelling and so that really kind of again got our attention
1: comparing and and compiling your physical exam findings the patient's description of their pain so you've got not only
0: numbness. Could she move her legs? I guess let's a little bit, a very, very little. And, um, I'll get into it later, but, uh, initially not really just slightly wiggling of the toes, which is probably more from her moving her upper legs, of causing her lower legs to move. So you've got a real triad of numbness
1: and mm-hmm. paresthesia. Yep. Can't feel them, but there's pain there. So you've got pain, weakness and numbness. So when you think about other things, you know, Guillain-Barre, Another one that's on the list of, yeah. of paralysis, you know, that's not really going to be necessarily painful, right. you know? So really there's, when you're, when you're arranging there, this acute vascular event flies really high. Let's think about the aortic arch aneurysm for a second. And well, oftentimes me, it took me probably seven years in medicine to finally sort dissection and aneurysm in my brain and the difference there. Aneurysm is a disease vessel. It's a bulge. Right, you've got a you got a pooch or a bulge out from the pipe. And if you had an aortic arch aneurysm and that ruptured, what's the outcome for the patient there? Uh quite poor. <laughs> quite poor, right? And what was so what was her pressure? Pressures were normal. One fifties over hundreds, so as I recall. So if you had an aortic arch aneurysm rupture, no, <laughs>
0: yeah, that's not
1: gonna be the case probably not gonna be normal. So you really did an excellent job on scene with recognizing this is an acute event. This is not a normal subacute, been worsening for 7 to 10 days. Something happened to this patient in the really seconds to minutes before they called 911. I need an MCHD medic on the scene now. I've got bystanders here to help me. I'm worried I'm going to fall. I can't move my legs. I can't feel my legs. I've got this bizarre swelling in my leg type pain that doesn't, like you said, doesn't really add up to to a, a big giant, you know, lumbar disc rupture. What were your next steps, you know, as far as hospital transport and arrival to the ED? What was going through your mind? Because this is not a patient, admittedly, that we were performing DSI or that we were doing a a needle uh, thoracostomy or, you know, chemical sedation with with, uh, ketamine or, you know, using a paralytic. There was none of those acute procedural events, but your mind had to be really, really firing at that point as far as Something's not right here. So, how did you approach transport and how did you approach handover and presentation at the hospital? Because this is really, as we've discussed this before coming on, this is a vital part to the case for new medics.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, we walk in, we do our assessment, we get our baseline vitals, and quickly we realize this is really bad. And, uh, you know, time at that point is of the essence, uh, much like with our strokes, STEMIs, trauma patients. Um, And in your mind, you think, I'm about to call the hospital and I'm going to have this weird story to tell them over the radio, which may not make a lot of sense. But when I get there, it'll be clear to them. Uh, So we we quickly, you know, we didn't really waste any time on scene. I think we were on scene seven to nine minutes, maybe Um, we left. Um, Luckily, there was a a good hospital nearby with uh, vascular capabilities and surgical capabilities. So um, we, we got on the radio, told them what we were coming with. Um, Of course, the care for her most part is supportive. It's pain management, it's IV access. Um, You know, you monitor her other vital signs. And uh, we get to the hospital. um, And the first physician we saw was a newer physician, was a resident physician. And um, we kind of explained our case uh, uh, to her and uh, uh, was listening to the patient, she was assessing the patient. And then, um, you know, let's talk about therapeutic momentum that if you arrive at a hospital or a facility or maybe a flight crew or whomever you're giving handoff to, if I feel like it's urgent, I need to convey that to you so you have that same sense of urgency. If I come into you and I'm very calm, and you don't have to do this in a panicked way, Um, be calculated with your words and, and, and how you express what's going on. You know, I think squeaky wheel gets the grease. So if I come into the ER and I say, hey, this guy has XYZ symptoms and I'm very calm, Uh, and it kind of, you, if you, if you do it the wrong way, people may be less inclined to to have that same sense of urgency. So the initial physician was doing a good job, did a good assessment. Um, but then a more experienced physician came in and I was trying to really convey like, this is really bad. This, this patient cannot feel her legs. Um, and it's easy, you know, if you have someone that says, well, I can't feel my legs. That's easy to kind of be somewhat dismissive of that at times. Um, there's a lot of things, you know, maybe she she's got neuropathy. Maybe she has a, just a lower back injury. But when you look at the the totality of everything, it was very clear that she was in very much a crisis. And once we conveyed that to the uh, attending physician, uh, she very much understood where we we're coming from and moved immediately.
1: And just from being an experienced medic and being on both sides of the coin, so to speak here, Remembering what it was like back in the day to be a resident, knowing now, being a little more experienced as a you know, practicing emergency physician, I can relate to both both people involved here. And the lesson for medics listening to learn from this is you know, Travis knew his surroundings, knew his receiving hospital, knew the the both physicians involved in their level of experience, and worked within that structure to really push as a patient advocate. And sometimes we lose track of the importance of that because again, there was no procedure and there was no Lucas device and there was no entitled CO2 monitoring. And a lot of the, the fancy bells and whistles type things that we really focus on and get excited about for, for good reason. Those are the things, I mean, we all like to manage airways. We all like to manage sick traumas, but this is a patient that if you shaved off a few of the details on the side and you weren't thorough with your assessment and, again, taking in totality, to use your terms and use your words, oh, the patient can't move their legs. Oh, their legs are numb. It's some neuropathy, some low back pain. This is probably chronic. It's mm-hmm. really easy to drive this car right off the road into the ditch of underselling and thinking about, oh, they're probably just intoxicated. I hear, you know, hear that all the time. Oh, the, the urine drug screens positive. They've, they've got, they've got benzos in their urine or wh- whatever it is to think about ways to potentially downgrade. And in this patient, you felt the need for full on upgrade, just like the sense from the resident was maybe not quite the push forward as yeah. as you would want. Right. And that's not to knock the resident. The resident doesn't all. have experience. You, like we talked about before, you decided you were going to go to the manager in in a very, very professional way and pushed it forward. And that, you know, the attending physician on scene knows our medics, knows you, knows, hey, this guy's got his stuff together. He's done a full assessment. There's, you know, an excellent vascular exam. We've looked at color. We've looked at dorsalis pedis pulses, popliteal pulses. This is a normal lady that was working and functional and now can't walk. Mm-hmm. What something, something big and bad something and nasty bad is going on. And so your push forward was not yelling, screaming, no, no, no. making a scene. It was just a little, little bit of persistence, a good thorough presentation. Again, just like you said, not panicked, not out of professionalism, just, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this story because I really, you know, again, just out of patient advocacy, right. which is where we base everything. And there's not procedures and there's not, again, the, the fireworks but this in the end it was very very important that this patient got to a uh, center with vascular capabilities because that's what they ended up needing and right. you pushing for those and pushing for those rapidly was was key so i guess it's time now to really you know take uh take the the cover off and you know when they have the the statue that they're going to unveil, well. or the uh, or the they're going to raise the flag in the rafters for the for the Super Bowl or the NBA championship, and they drop it and and everybody sees it and cheers. We can we can tell everybody what happened. So you push the attending to get the patient where? What what was your concern?
0: Where uh, they go? Where'd they go first? Uh, CT immediately and um, <laughs> to get a CTA and uh, see what that vasculature looks like. Um, it was kind of funny you mentioned that. Uh, could the patient move uh, her feet? And when we were sitting there visiting with the resident, um, she kind of wiggled her feet a little bit. And you kind of I don't know if it was like a sigh of relief, but he was kind of like, oh, okay, well, you can move your feet. And I'm like, that's that's not really good movement of the feet. That's incidental. This lady was walking an hour ago. Something's not right. She can't lift her leg. Um, So uh, the resident, it was really a matter of minutes. The uh, the attending uh, we all visited and uh, she saw the sense of urgency and immediately the patient went and got a CAT scan.
1: And to just cut to the chase for the listeners, there was an aortic thrombus with extension into the bilateral iliac vessels that was ten centimeters in length. So the entire aorta from the distal abdominal aorta into the iliac vessels was entirely occluded for a ten centimeter stretch. I know you were telling me beforehand that you were talking to uh, colleagues and they're like ten millimeters, and you're like, no, ten, 10 centimeters, centimeters, like <laughs> half a foot, <laughs> right? very, very significant acute vascular thrombus. So just to fill the listeners in, I was able to track the patient's hospital course and follow through. The patient was taken emergently for vascular stenting. There was really some sad course, uh, to be honest. The team there at the hospital, the vascular team and the interventional radiology team worked for several days, virtually, not, there's no uh, exaggeration here, around the clock, the patient would go for stenting, would go for thrombectomy, and flow would return, good dopplerable pulses, good return of color, and the patient continued to have repeat thrombus formation. Heparin drip, multiple different variations on both uh, endovascular and open attempts at trying to revascularize the patient, and unfortunately, eventually, eventually, bilateral, below-the-knee amputations uh, were required. This is really ca- kind of a sad case in the end for, mm-hmm. a, from a, for a very functional patient to have this acute event and, and lead to that. But from an initial assessment standpoint, from proper transport, and this is one we've talked recently on the podcast about, our freestanding initiative uh, transport or freestanding emergency department transport initiative here at at MCHD. This is not one that would have been best served in a freestanding good, good call there. Um, And it might've even fit the inclusion exclusion because this wasn't a clear stroke or a a large vessel occlusion, or, you know, this wasn't a a trauma activation or a STEMI activation, or, you know, this was one that was really outside the box as, does this need an acute comprehensive stroke center or acute, you know, Emergent vascular surgery capabilities. You recognize that, and that you know, kudos to you for that. And realistically, while the outcome wasn't what we would have wished for, the patient would have had much less chance of any functional, sur- you know, survival or functional, um, you know, recovery. Yeah, if we, life. yeah, if we'd have jacked around.
0: Yeah. And another thing you think about is, is what if it would have occurred in the middle of the night? And and you get this this person they they wake up with those symptoms that would be even easier to be dismissive of but when you come into the home and you see how active she is and and how much pain she's in you know it it uh, gets your attention so
1: really a really an excellent case I'm not sure that I've seen you asked me before the show if I'd seen a case like this and we've seen acute thrombotic events you know we see those not infrequent in the emergency department. Um, arterial lower extremity occlusion and the cold leg is, is not uncommon in folks that have to have multiple stents and, you know, fem pop bypasses and, you know, fem fem bypasses and, you know, aorto fem bypasses and all these different vascular procedures and, you know, plastic tubes that replace the, the vasculature that's there. But one that's this abrupt from normal to abnormal and this extensive, 10 centimeters in length from the distal abdominal aorta down into the iliacs. I don't think I've seen one in my, you know, 15 plus years that extensive. So when you think about learning points and I made some bullet points here and and I'll let you chime in as we go through these and kind of wrap up, but I can't move. I can't feel my legs. So you got both legs involved. It really doesn't point to a cerebral stroke type symptom because it's, it's bilateral. So you really have to think compromised spinal cord and Compromised cord can be from, like we talked about, compression, mm-hmm. epidural hematoma in a patient with anticoagulation, epidural abscess in an immunosuppressed IV drug user that may see their um, uh, you, know, their, their spinal fluid and their epidural space, cord hypoxia, or cord neuronal dif- dysfunction. And that's what this patient ended up being from that gigantic you know, clot there was compromise to both, you know, blood flow to the cord and blood flow to the, to the legs in general. Um, second bullet point you hit on like a champ, everyone deserves a full exam. And that full exam cannot happen if you don't
0: expose, expose,
1: (laughs) right? Pulses, cap refill, skin temperature, when we're thinking about vascular supply, whether that's a thoracic dissection, where you want to check right side and left side, Mm -hmm. radial pulses in the upper extremity, whether it's lower extremity flow from an aortic thrombus or even a ruptured AAA would cause decreased lower extremity pulses. You can't do any of those things if the patient's boots on, right? right. You got, got to get them undressed motor and sensory exam are key with consideration of, of reflexes and tone, you know, things like serotonin syndrome with hyperreflexia, if you, that's, and clonus, if, not a super hard thing to check. And when someone really has serotonin syndrome, that clonus can be so impressive. I've seen a few of those, not really hard to see, but if you don't look for it at all, like like you said before, we're never going to see that. And then when you think about the difference between acute cord compression and acute vascular injury, that cord compression, whether it's a disc, a hematoma, an abscess, or cord pathology like Guillain-Barre or transverse myelitis, those aren't going to affect the pulses. Right. So going back to the original exam, you made your differential perfectly in that the only thing that's going to make this patient painful, weak, and numb, all three together is going to be compromised blood flow. Right. And that, that was a really, really excellent job above and beyond, not, not a, Not a typical case as far as a time sensitive emergency that we teach on or think on. I know you had some experienced folks on scene with you. We added up our years of, how many years of experience do we have on scene there? 30 plus, close to 40. And no one had seen an extensive thrombus like that. I add my 15 in and we'll we'll get close to 50, 15 or 20. So I guess we can almost get to 50 here if you throw me in. We've seen some variations on that, but nothing this extensive. So for all the newer medics listening out there, this is hopefully an eye-opener for you. When you take into consideration the patient and the complaint and their functionality before and after the call, the severity, the concern of the patient, the pain complaint, and then you throw in your objective findings, the exam, the pulses, exposing the patient. And then when you get to the hospital, when you know something's not right, and you know you've got an acute event going on, we have to, have to, have to have the patient's best interest at heart and really push to continue that therapeutic momentum because if we go in and we undersell it, then that's contagious to everyone around us, the nursing staff, the residents, the attendings, the secretaries, the unit clerks, the everybody around gets right. turns everything down a notch. And it and your example here was perfect. It's not yelling, it's not screaming. It's that professional push forward and an adequate changeover and story. And here's what my exam showed and this is what she was like just an hour ago and this is why i'm concerned and thankfully for this patient we did the best we could the outcomes don't always fit the way that we want them right. to but we gave this patient the best shot that she could have had for for good recovery i'm confident of that and uh, hopefully this was a, a good discussion for the listeners out there as always if you have questions or concerns you can reach us at the podcast email podcast at mchd tx.org Thank you, Travis, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hopefully this will be a recurring quarterly discussion, case-type discussion for, for your listeners out there. If you're an MCHD listener and you have a cool case, send it my way. We want to really try to spread the education and spread the pathology and the, the medicine that we see and we take care, of, take care of here in the county. That case-based learning, is there's nothing better. So, as always, thanks for listening. Please leave a like or review wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll talk to everyone again soon.